I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's popping, everybody? Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a good weekend. Everybody got their basketball fix, y'all. Living. I don't know what you all got up to, but I hope it was great. It's been a rough one for the Celtics. It's been a it's been a rough week. Like it's been a real rough week. <laughs> I'm joined as usual on a Sunday and for a Monday for anybody listening on the podcast by my homie, Mr. Greg Manakis. We're gonna keep with the same format that we trial around last Sunday. We think that went really well. So this is kind of gonna be what it is from that from here on moving forwards for your Monday shows. Greg, what's going on, my guy? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, I don't know like how much I actually want to talk about the Celtics today. You know, all the stuff that we got, it's going to be pretty negative with this progress report. Um, I would love to. I'm I'm excited to hear what you come up with in terms of silver linings for this past week. But I think the best thing that we could probably do, like honestly, is just look ahead to this upcoming week. But we got to do it, man. We got to stick to the format. You know, we talked about how we're going to get into the winners and losers. Um, we're going to talk about fun stats that we found from this past week or, or um, over the past month or so. Uh, we're going to give you uh, those winners and losers, progress reports for a couple players. And then we're going to take a look ahead at the week ahead, which we have three games against the Bucks, Warriors, and Knicks. And last week we started with me. Um, I gave my progress report on a player. So let's start with you, man. Who, which player did you pick to uh, kind of break down over this past week? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, right? Because I feel like a bunch of guys have had regression this week. Like, mm-hmm. I think um, Al Horford's regressed a little bit this week. Josh Richardson got hit by um, by COVID, so I feel like it's unfair really diving into him. Um, I think Tatum's the most obvious for somebody that's made a bit of progression. Like, he's, he's had some good shooting nights in, in the last two games. Didn't end up getting the W, but I feel like he was driving more he was kind of like um and i tweeted this out actually i think after the clippers game like when he's splitting the defense now off the dribble like when he's going at guys and then splitting straight through the middle of those guys his body movement and body control around the room are so good like um mm-hmm. he'll he'll beat he'll break you down wait for the double to come and if there's no pass available he will just beat you straight through the middle of that defensive line and then just euro step or do whatever he needs to do to get these like smooth silky finishes so I think for me, like that's the guy that I've been looking at, but not so much in like what you've done this week, but what you've shown while you've been. And Tatum's always the featured offensive piece, but with no Jalen Brown, he's like the featured offensive yeah. piece, you know. And I feel like it's just those little, those little nuances where we're really seeing growth, like being able to split the defense now, not doing it off ball, but doing it on ball. Um, I think that Udoka for me. And see, this is where I am, man. The players, I don't really think there's progress. I think there's been regression quite up and down the roster. But I also think that we're starting to see the downside of Udoka's. And I'm going to get into this just because it's going off the topic a little bit, but I need to I need to air this out. Okay. Like uh, Udoka's defensive structure schemes for me uh, mm. are too rigid, right? So my weekly progress report right now is there needs to be more fluidity in the types of defensive schemes that the team are running. As an individual, okay. I think that, uh, you know, if we want to look at individuals, the shooters that you have on the bench don't fit the the schemes that Udoka's running. You've got Neesmith, Pritchard. You can throw Jabari Parker in there if you really want to, you know, someone that can just come off the bench and get you a bucket or two. None of these guys can switch one through five. They can't slide up two positions or slide down the position. And 
when you look at like, and I, I think I tweeted this out as well. When you look at what the Clippers did, man, when the Clippers would, the Clippers went switch one through five, then they went man to man, then they went switch one through four with Zubac in draft, then they went box and one. Then and and they were throwing so many different defensive schemes out there to fit the personnel that they had on the floor and to really counter what the Celtics were doing in a matchup basis as well. And I feel like to me, saying players have regressed when they're not really being put in schemes to to excel. I think mm. that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm I'm kind of putting more onus on Udoka being too rigid than I am on the players not being fluid enough and driven enough if that makes sense and i know that's kind of gone off the path a little bit of the way we want to do this but that's kind of where i'm at yeah so that that reminds me of this quote that jalen rose always says he always says that success is a function of realistic expectations right so if you're gonna ask your players to be successful and then you put them into a scheme in which they're sort of set up to fail it's kind of unfair to judge them on a scale in which it's kind of like the game is rigged against them right you want to find ways to put these guys into positions where they can be successful. And that is something, especially coming off of Brad Stevens, right? Where Brad Stevens was able to make uh, lemonade out of lemons throughout the roster, you know? And now Udoka, I think this is just a product of his inexperience, right? He's coming in, and I think we may have even talked about it on the three-man weave pod with me, you, and Will. He's coming in with this script, right? He thinks that these are the things that are going to make his style of basketball successful. And as a first-year head coach, it's kind of, a lot to ask of him to be able to just figure it out on the fly. You know, there are going to be a lot of growing pains with him, but like where, where are we, when are we going to start to see him actually implement things that are off of his rigid structure as you're calling it, right? Like when Aaron Neesmith's in the game, he's a guy that kind of thrives off of chaos. So like where, where's the full court press with Aaron Neesmith? Like when Neesmith's in the game, there's like three other guys that we know would also play well with what Neesmith does. So let's switch up and maybe go a three-quarter court trap or something like that just for a couple possessions and switch it up. Maybe throw in some zone in there when Cantor's in the game. You know, like little things like that. Um, I, I think he's Udoka's made some adjustments. Like he's shown that he's like, all right, with when Cantor's in the game, we're going to go drop, right? He doesn't go switch one through five or switch everything when Udoka's in, I mean, um, when Cantor's in the game freedom when freedom's in the game it's always sitting in drop now right so like we've seen these little bits in which he's willing to make adjustments it's just like he doesn't necessarily have all of the adjustments ready to go and maybe it's a you know these guys haven't been playing together long enough or whatever we can make all these excuses we want but we got to start to see the results but Adam, what we do have, we have some good news, right? Jalen Brown is going to be back against the Milwaukee Bucks. That news was released earlier today. So we know that JB is going to be back. Um, Josh Richardson is still going to be out in COVID protocols. But now we can at least see, right, we wanted Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, we wanted them to earn the role as that first wing off the bench. Richardson came in and stole it because he was the guy that knows how to play Udoka's rigid structures. But now that it's going to be Romeo or it's going to be Neesmith with JB back in the fold, you got to ask yourself like, well, let's look forward to what Udoka does differently maybe in these games this week with, with Richardson out. Like maybe he's going to make these adjustments coming off of that trip. Maybe he's going to see like, oh man, it's not just... Um, a small sample size, like we got worked on this West Coast trip against some of the better teams in the league in the Utah Jazz and uh, the Phoenix Suns, the LA Lakers, you know, Clippers, even though they're not one of the better teams in the league, they still worked us, man. Um, 
So even though even though we have gone off the format a little bit, I will accept it, Adam. I'll accept it. That that's fair. The progress report, uh, Ime's Ime's defense, and I have some stats on that later that I'm going to bring in as well. Um, for my guy, I have Marcus Smart, and I know that you had brought up on the last pod for your fun stat what his net rating was or whatever that stat was that you brought up. But for me, um, my progress report for Marcus Smart is an F for this past week. I'm going to give him a that's big fat F. Marcus Smart failed the past week, um, and it, it's it's okay because like he had a really good November. I think his November was one of the best months that he's put up in green. Um, but this this past trip, he plummeted back to earth, man. Especially on this three game losing streak. So I think we talk about this all the time, right? Any small sample size, it, it's not fair to make big judgments about people um, and their long term impact with the team. But this is what we're doing, right? We're doing these weekly progress reports and Marcus Smart fails this week. Um, we can afford when people, we can't afford when people have career worst weeks um, when Jalen Brown's out, right? Especially not our starting point guard. Uh, so a couple numbers for Smart over this three game stretch, effective field goal percentage, 29%, 45% for the season, 50% in November, right? So that's significantly lower. True shooting percentage was 33%. He's shooting 49% on the season. His November percentage was 54%. And that's just not okay. And then adding to that, he had a 1.71 assist to turnover ratio on these uh, on this three-game stretch compared to a 3.7 assist to turnover ratio in November. And then his net rating over these past three games was negative 8.3. And then to make matters worse, man, like Ime didn't budge. He didn't play other guys when it was very clear to everybody that Marcus Smart did not have it in these three games. He still averaged 34 minutes in these three games, and that's his, that's his season average right around 34. So Ime, once again, being stubborn, not seeing, not reading the game, that Marcus was just, like, not going to be a positive factor in these games. Yeah, I mean, just so everybody listening understands the difference between effective field goal and true shooting percentage, let's just do that first. So effective field goal percentage is your twos and your threes. And it's basically what you're shooting within an amalgamation of from the field and from deep. And then you can, if you want to get like, um, if you want to get nuanced with it, you can find different sites that do effective field goal percentage that also includes shot location as a factor or a minute factor in the way they do their formula. But generally just take it as when they're not at the free throw line, this is what they're shooting overall. It's your effective field goal percentage. True shooting percentage includes free throws so it's literally what you're shooting as a true percentage that's the one i tend to lean on the most um i just didn't want everybody to be like well what's the difference between effective field goal and true shooting percentage because you know they're both to do with shooting me like i think the celtics as a team went away from using marcus smart in the low block a little bit mm. and i know everyone's like well it's marcus smart he's a point guard but some of marcus smart's best playmaking has come from that mid post where they where he's ducked into a mid post area, got the ball, and then waited for that pocket pass to open up or come off a screen and then hit a cutter on the weak side or whatever it is. And now they've put him more above the break. Marcus Smart and um, I, I heard Tom Westerholm talking about this on Locked On Celtics with John Corrales last week. Marcus Smart shooting corner freeze is good. Marcus Smart shooting above the break freeze is bad. There, there was no. No one was trying to get the ball out of his hands. And I'm not saying that you need to come over and be like, yo, give me the ball. But you need to be 
doing stuff off ball that gives him passing opportunities. Because if Marcus Smart feels like the only option he's got is to shoot, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to shoot. Because you put him in a position where that's the only thing left. And we all know that Marcus Smart is not the guy you want taking threes when you're four, like down by four in a close game. Because all of a sudden, you'll quickly be down by eight, nine, ten. And it's tough, man. But like you say, um, Udoka never pivoted. You know, put Romeo Langford in as a point guard for a little while. If it doesn't work, well, it's not working with Marcus Smart. You're not really losing much. Put If you need a spark, put Peyton Pritchard in. Chris Mannix had a really, like, I don't know if you saw this after the um, after the Suns game, but Chris Mannix on the post-game show was was basically going off a little bit, saying, like, why aren't, like, you know, show me where there's opportunity for guys like Neesmith and Pritchard. Show me where, you know, Romeo's shown he can defend, he can hang on the floor with, with these like NBA-level athletes. Why isn't he getting starter minutes? And I think it's very much down to, again, it's down to that rigidity, rig, the rigidness, there we go, of the way Udoka's lining that offense up. And again, it's if it's not working, you said like when Cantor comes in on defense, he's running like a, he's running a drop, but he's still switching one through four. He's not moving to a complete drop system. He's It's a hybrid drop system because he still wants that switch everything. And I get it, you nullify him, but on offense, it's the same. You're coming up the floor running wide, which is when you've got a wing and a guard or a guard and a guard coming up on either side of the floor and a big man in the middle. The big man screens for the off-ball guy. So say Dennis Schroeder's coming up on the left, Horford comes up in the middle, and then you've got Tatum. Horford will screen for Tatum, Tatum gets the ball. They're running that same set over and over and over, and it's not working because teams are just pushing up onto the perimeter, waiting for that screen, and then straight away jumping into a trap, or they're hard-hedging Tatum. And where's the... Where's the evolution of that play? Where's that next movement coming from to ease that pressure? And it's the same for Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's being put in very specific positions with the ball, and teams know what's coming next. So they're top locking the off ball screen, or they're, um, you know, they'll, they'll not throw a double, but they'll, they'll like kind of stagger or stunt is the word I was looking for. They'll be stunting at Smart to make him pick up the ball. So there's a lot of like, that rigidness, that rigidity in what Udoka is doing is leading teams to just be like, yo, we've scared, these guys don't do nothing different. It's route mm-hmm. A, route B, or route C. So all we need to do is just take away their passing options, and then you end up with what we've seen these last three or four games. Yeah, and that's a great point. When you know we think back to the Lakers game, I think it was you. You wrote that article about how the Lakers adjusted in the second half, right? Yeah, just by literally just by going under. Yeah, by by going under, and then they also, like, Anthony Davis also just, like, stayed attached to Robert Williams just, like, a little bit longer, right? So, you in, in that scenario, you end up making Marcus Smart, like, look at his option to pass, see that that role, you know, the role, the lob threat is not there, and then he's like, well, the next thing for me to do is shoot, you know? And then Anthony Davis sitting at the rim there, he's going to be able to contest the shot, and Marcus really struggled in the second half. Another thing that I've noticed, when the ball was really hopping around, right? When Marcus would get the ball and, and, you know, he maybe he'd have a hockey assist or something like that, he would catch the ball and then he would, above the break, and he would go to shoot. The moment he would see someone take a step towards him, he'd then deliver that little side pass to the next guy that was open. But what happens when the people stop stunting at Marcus Smart, right? They stop taking that step towards Marcus Smart. So Marcus is going up to shoot. Nobody moves, so he doesn't have that outlet pass to his right or his outlet pass to his left. Now it's, oh, Marcus Smart is going to shoot a three-pointer, you know? And that moment of indecision 
it's kind of what I was seeing a lot. Even though the pace numbers don't really don't really show it, the Celtics actually over this three game sample size were fifth in the league in pace, right? So they actually were fifth in the league in um, possessions per a uh, hundred possessions or whatever it is, or per forty eight minutes, whatever the pace number is. Um, so like that pace in which Ime was talking about didn't necessarily translate into anything positive for the team. Um, and then when you talk about rigidity, man. So against the against the Clippers, we had four guys play over 35 minutes. You know, like it's not working. I know the second half we made we had a comeback, but like you gotta play more guys, man. Like you can't just lean on these four dudes that you want that you think are your best guys. Like you cannot play four guys over 35 minutes on a back to back. Like what are you doing? That's ridiculous, man. Um, so I mean, Ime, he, he's just not been great this year, man. So that, I mean, that's kind of what I've seen so far. The biggest lesson like I took away from that, that Clippers game was like BJ Boston gave you that work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. BJ Boston is an, or oh, sorry, Brandon Boston Jr. I don't know why I keep calling him BJ Boston. Um, Brandon Boston Jr. gave you that work. He's an end of bench dude. And he had impact. You've got guys on the end of your bench that have a year's experience in the league on him. The only difference was Boston Jr. felt empowered. He he knew that if he made a mistake, he'd get to play through that mistake. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? They weren't really who, who were you going to put in his place? There was no Paul George. There was no Kawhi Leonard. When you play free of like free of that fear of being yanked for making taking the wrong shot or doing going against what your your coach thinks is the right idea, the right move at that time. When you don't have that fear. You can pop off for 10 to 20 points. I mean, Brandon Boston was he was literally coming down the floor in transition, spotting up and calling his own number from free. This is a rookie mm-hmm. dude shooting yeah. transition freeze. No way would Neesmith do that because Neesmith knows he's riding the bench for the rest of the game. If he, if he does that, you get that to Tatum or Brown for those transition frees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not only I, that, but they're going to get publicly scrutinized and humiliated. Like, Ime will run on, call a timeout, run onto the court, and just start yelling at them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, it, it struck me very, like, it was poignant that it, it was it was a rookie that did that to the Celtics. That, to me, was very much like, if it was going to be anyone, to really nail that, that point of playing some of these young, hungry guys a bit more, it had to be Brandon Boston. Because he it just, it really hammered that point home for me. And I, I'm stuck on it. I've been stuck on it. I know a lot of people are going to be like, you know, they'll probably be in Scal's corner where, like, Schroeder's better. So Schroeder should get the minutes over Pritchard. I get that. I do. But that doesn't mean that Pritchard shouldn't play. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Schroeder's here one year. And it's not working right now. In my opinion, Schroeder was absolutely god-awful for those last two games. He oh, yeah. I mean, I, I probably could have done the same dive into Schroeder's stats and had found the same stats that I found with Marcus Smart. Like, he was that was as bad as Schroeder's been this year. Yeah. And, you know, you get the good and you get the bad with Schroeder. And that's why he wasn't getting the contract that he wanted last year. I mean, we can move on. Another thing that we want to go through is the winners and losers of the week, which we're still yet to title. <laughs> we're still yet I mean, to title. I mean, it's kind of just like the Boston Celtics award, right? Like they always win and lose. Like they're a 500 team. <laughs> I want to do um, like some, some, some Cardi B thing here. Like get a hard hat, get a hard hat and a net. That's a wow. That's a wow. Winner and loser. We could just do some rap line like that. We're gonna get you to record something. Get a hard hat and then net. We need you to write the lyrics because that was awful. But you get, to okay. see, you get no. I, I like it. I like it. 
Um, but for for me, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll go first here. I'll give my loser first, and then I'll give my winner. Uh, my loser was, as you mentioned earlier, Ime's defense. Um, so man, <sighs> I mean, just Ime's coaching in general, but Ime's defense specifically. So we were um, 28th in assist to turnover ratio at 1.35 assists to every turnover. Um, but defensive numbers, 25th in the league um, opponents. So we were 25th in the league in terms of points off of turnovers over these last three games. So 20.7 points off of turnovers. Um, we were 25th in second chance points. Opponents had 15.7 second chance points per game. And then we were 27th in points in the paint. We allowed 53.3 points in the paint <laughs> over the last three games. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. And you're, when you're, when you're a defensive coach and you're hanging your hat on defense and you are in the bottom five and three categories in which you should never be bottom five, if you want to be a winning team, second chance points, points off turnovers and points in the paint. I mean, what, what can you do, man? That that's about as bad as it gets. So what are your initial thoughts to hearing? First of all, this 53.3 points in the paint over the last three games. And I'm assuming that's per 100 possessions. Um, I think that was what we Just actually overall. averaged overall. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to double check that. But I'm I, I didn't I didn't do any filters for per 100 possessions. So whatever the default is on NBA.com. Yeah, it's usually per 100. Okay, well, it might be by game average, and that's allowed, right? You're allowing 50. You're allowing over 50 in the paint. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was per game. So my biggest thing here is, bro, like. There was a point in time, like when this, when it looked like the Celtics were figuring things out, you know, and they were very much like, "Hey, we want to hang out on defense because the shots aren't always going to fall, but you can always rely on defense." Well, apparently not, because this defense has been awful, allowing over fifty points in the paint. It's it's ridiculous, man. Um, again, I think that that switching scheme really relies on everyone being locked in. Um, you'll hear people say, like, you know, if you read any large quantity of basketball coverage and stuff you'll hear people be like teams need to move on a string and it's true every person moves everybody else reacts to that movement and it needs to be super fluid and without that you end up getting killed on slip screens i mean don't get me wrong it's not like you went up against zubach who's a big body in the paint you went up against the who else did they go up against you know um who else did they go anthony davis JaVale. a big but JaVale yeah mcgee javel mcgee killed him in the paint and ad it's not like you didn't go up against big bodies, but at the same time, th your job is don't let them get in the paint. The whole point of a switch scheme is to, well, why didn't they run Veer back? Why weren't they switching guards onto these rolling bigs early like they were early in the season, which was limiting paint touches for bigs and making it hard for them? It feels like at the moment, there's just not enough communication. That, def that defense, like you can't be allowing over 50. That's so many easy buckets, dude. That's 25 easy looks at, in, in the paint. Over the course of it, like you know, it's um, what's that? What would you average that out to? You know, what six and a half basket, like six and a half made attempts each quarter. Like it's it's <laughs> yeah, a, it, it, bad in an NBA where everybody wants to shoot from free. Like man, you're just giving it up, and 
I think a lot of that starts with your perimeter defense. It starts with how how you're guarding pick and roll. I'm not happy with the the defenses. But, you know, like you say, it is a small sample size. Overall, for the season, they've actually been quite good defensively. But this West Coast trip was uh, was god-awful. Yeah, and that was per game. Those numbers were all per game numbers. Those were not per 100 possessions. So I don't know if that makes it worse or not. But Yeah, that may, <laughs> I mean, now, per 100, if you're allowing 50 points in the paint per 100 possessions, that would probably be worse. Yeah. But per game, still god-awful. It's very terrible. It's very terrible. Um, so what do you got for your loser of the week? Well, I mean, my loser of the week was just uh, was Jay Rich, man. I think he's been one of the more reliable members of the rotation on this West Coast trip. There were times where I was like, Richardson is literally your only spark plug off the bench, and he's not going to be your... He's not the guy that comes off the bench and drops 25. He's not the guy that comes off the bench and gets 18, 7 rebounds and 4 assists. He's not that dude. But his movement and his scoring ability in that mid-range area are good enough that people have to respect him. So when when he went down with COVID, I think that was a huge blow to their rotation, huge blow to mm-hmm. the bench, and a huge blow to him because his value has been on a real steady increase over these first few months. And that's one of the reasons he came to Boston to rebuild his value, same as same as Schroeder did. But um, I think Richardson's gone about it a lot more professionally than what Schroeder has. Um, so yeah, I think he's the loser for me this week simply because through no fault of his own, he's going to be missing three or four more games well no three or four more days it's a 10 day quarantine right yeah depending on when you get if he's vaccinated which i don't know if he is and then how many you have to get like three negative tests in 48 hours or something like that before you can come back and play um but i think that depends on vaccination status but that's a whole nother conversation um but yeah but i think with richardson what stands out to me is like he's a known quantity right so coming off the bench you just want to know what you're getting from your bench players you don't want so many high variable guys like schroeder who's up and down he's the schroeder coaster uh and i just think that you know with richardson in terms of building his value teams are going to be looking for Josh Richardson on the trade market. We can't trade him, I think, until late January, maybe even early February. So we are going to be stuck with Josh Richardson for better or worse for the next couple of months. Dennis Schroeder is actually available to be traded on uh, December 15th, right? So you you might see Schroeder get moved sooner rather than later if the Celtics can't figure this out over the next couple of weeks. If at the end of December, the Celtics are five games under 500, I would imagine that there are going to be some major moves pretty quickly. Um, in terms of my winner for the week, I went with Jalen Brown, you know, after I think I, I had him as a loser of last week, but the winner of this week, because it, it's very clear that it's not just a Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum thing. This team itself and the way that it's constructed is just not very good. It's not you can't pinpoint a finger and say it's Jason Tatum's fault. It's Jalen Brown's fault. No, like these are our two best players and they need to be on the court. Jalen Brown needs to be on the court. He's going to be back against the Bucks tomorrow. So as a winner, you know, all the all the hullabaloo around Jalen Brown over the last couple of weeks and can he play with Jason Tatum? It's just like, hey, man, he's one of our best players. And if you want to be able to beat the best teams in the league, there's a reason why Jalen Brown is an all star. It's because he can compete against the very best and he always comes to play against the best teams in the league. So I don't actually have a winner for this week. I think if you lose three games the way you lose, then you don't deserve to be classified as a winner. Yeah. If I have to choose somebody, I'm going to go with Jabari Parker because you didn't play at all, so no one can put any... <laughs> I like that. I no like one that. can put any blame on you, bro. You walk around blame-free right now. Take your W. Here's your flowers. Um, fun stat of the week, man. I've got one. Have you got one? Okay. Yeah, I got one. You go okay, first. so my, mine's not fun. 
It's it's the unfun. So three games, the last three games, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns. The Celtics took 91 three-pointers. Do you know how many they hit? Uh, under 30. Yeah. Do you want to take a guess at a number? Or are you... 24. That was precise. Are you serious? Precise. <laughs> oh, 24 wow. out of 91. Yeah. They took 91 threes. Um, I've got it wrote down here exactly how many. So they took 33 against the Lakers, 32 against the Clippers, 26 against the Suns. They hit 10 against the Lakers, 10 against the Clippers, 4 against the Suns. So that Suns is really what skews the average, right? It pulls the average down. Um, but that's a, that's a conversion rate of 26.3% from three over those three games. Um, I think that tells you everything you need to know about what this team's missing right now. Um, so I'm not going to go any further there, but I thought that that stat was striking, um, yeah. especially with the conversations that social that's kind of floating around social media right now. And I think you know, 26.3 percent is just it's not it's not good enough. You can't be a playoff team shooting that poorly from deep. How do we fix it? Just like play the guys that are better shooters, or, do, or is it? I mean, like, I, I mean, it, I said this. I said this in Celtics Legends, right? And I said, and I kind of alluded to it at the start of this podcast. You have shooters, but your defensive scheme means they're unplayable. So guess what? Mm-hmm. You need to you either move them for shooters that can switch, which are going to come at an incredible premium, or you start being more intelligent with your defensive scheme. Do you think Duncan Robinson would like? You know, if, if if Duncan Robinson was on this roster right now, he can't slide up to a position. He can't slide down a position. You really gonna let, would Odoka really think of leaving Duncan Robinson on a DMP? And of course not. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. You need to start diversifying your defensive coverages to be able to let Neesmith get the minutes he needs because he's your shooter. For better or worse, at the moment, he's the best shooter on the roster in terms of just mm-hmm. low usage, Come off a screen, catch and fire. So, and, but you're not playing him because he can't defend. Same as Peyton Pritchard. If you remember in the preseason, it, Udoka was like Peyton Pritchard's ability to stretch it out to the four point line, which is what he coined it, is invaluable for this team. Yeah. Do you see him stretch no four? But I've barely seen the guy shoot threes. Like it's invaluable when you're letting him do it. Well, and, maybe here counterpoint. Maybe Ime thought invaluable means not valuable. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh honestly, I, I think everything comes down to, and I know they want to, I genuinely believe a lot of these issues come down to only running one or two defensive schemes. I think that that limits so much on offense as well because of the personnel that you need to rely on more. Um, but yeah, that, that was a telling stat for me in terms of like lack of shooting. For sure. And you know, what? as we get into trade season, I know we're probably going to be talking a lot about shooters that are on the open market. On the three-man weave, you mentioned Bryn Forbes as a guy that you might want to bring in. You know, Buddy Heald is going to be out there. His name's always going to be available. You, you, you don't want Buddy Heald. He can't defend, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the same, same exactly. problem, bro. Doug McDermott, like, can you can, love the same Doug thing? Like, can you bring Doug McDermott in and expect him to defend the Udoka system? Like, it, it it really comes down to Ime, as you're saying. I think that that is that is the the answer here is that Ime needs to find ways to allow his guys to find success, and right now he's not. And maybe he needed like maybe he's you know super analytic based and was like, I need at least a thirty game sample size before I can say that we can't shoot. And it's like, well, hey man, now you got it. We can't shoot. Uh, <laughs> So maybe we could uh, start playing Neesmith and Pritchard a little bit more 
And, you know, when those guys are on the court, if Ime is not going to budge in terms of scheme, like at least on defense, like maybe he can just find more opportunities for them on offense and like have more split actions between them, more double staggers for, for Neesmith. One thing that I saw from Neesmith in the preseason, I know it's preseason, is he was really developing a nice um, like kind of uh, give and go action. If he came off of a screen, off of a pin down or something like that, he would catch. And if he didn't have the shot, he would then, you know, dish it to the big and relocate for kind of like a dribble handoff three. He had a couple nice ones at Robert Williams, a couple of nice ones at Grant Williams. I don't think, to your point from earlier in the podcast, he feels like he has the freedom to kind of create like that. You know, yeah. it's like if he doesn't get that first option, he doesn't really know what to do. So it feels I, very I, structured. Very structured, very structured. And like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever played for a bad coach or anything like that or played. Oh, yeah, like it, it, you just can't be successful within that it's just like hey like this is what i do well i probably could do this if you just allowed me you know 20 possessions today to kind of just like figure it out but he may just not allowing him to do that and it, it's got to be frustrating for a guy like neesmith who knows that he can shoot i remember playing for a coach dude and i was literally coming off an iverson cut and it wasn't really an iverson cut but it was that type of thing right i was cutting across mm -hmm. the elbows and he was very big on you do not take mid-range jump and if you mm -hmm. do then you need to be one of two guys and i wasn't one of the two guys i was very much you give adam the ball and let him get downhill mm -hmm. um and literally there was just no hand in my face and so i rose up and took the two because it was a good shot basketball wise yeah. it was the best shot available at that moment in time and i got benched for the entire game and i remember speaking to the assistant coach and he was like that was a good shot like mm -hmm. you, you take that shot a hundred times out of a hundred times it was a good shot and I, I feel like that's what some of these guys are kind of going through with Ime right now. Everything yeah. feels like there's a blueprint. You have option A. When option A don't work, you go to option B, then to A, then to C, then to B. And it's just basketball doesn't work. You need that unpredictability. And they just don't have it right now. And there's no freedom. Guys are not playing with freedom. And I think that's a huge issue. For sure. Um, my fun stat of the week. Um, I, there was a number that was going around. I just have some more numbers to go with with that number. Jason Tatum in the month of December is leading the NBA in points right now. He's I think he's at like 185 or something like that. Um, so I just want to keep talking about Tatum because we've said from the beginning of the year, if Jason Tatum can kind of turn it around in terms of his shooting and scoring, then when the Celtics are fully healthy, they're going to be one of the better teams in the league. Whether that is going to end up being true is another is another question. But um, so. He shoot he's shooting the crap out of the ball in December. Uh forty-eight percent from the field, thirty-seven from three, eighty-five from the line. That is a sixty point one true shooting percentage. So if uh Jason Tatum can stay hot, we got Jalen Brown returning um tomorrow against the Bucks, and then we got the Warriors who Tatum always loves to play against, and then we got our rematch with the Knicks. And the Knicks have been really struggling of late. Um it'll be interesting to see how we can kind of go um, and take the lessons that we hopefully learn from this trip and apply them over this uh, homestand. And um, just any, any thoughts on those Tatum numbers or do you want to move on to just like how no, we no. can find success this week? Yeah. So I think Tatum's been legitimate this week. I think um, his shooting stroke looks like it's back to where it was. It looks fluid. His mechanics oh, look great. He's, he's really snapping that wrist off and like holding it up there. Like he knows that he needs to be, like just right down the center. Like there were a lot of times this year when he would shoot it and it would just be very nonchalant. You kind of just like flick it up there. It's like, no man, like hold that follow through high. 
You know, just like you're talking to a little kid. If you're coaching a little kid, it's like put that hand in the cookie jar on the top of the fridge, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, that's man, all you gotta hold do. it there, dude. Act like someone just turned the light on and you're acting invisible right now, <laughs> dude. Just boom, frozen. Yeah. I'm a statue, yeah. and then I move on. That. Um, but nah, dude, I think he's been fantastic. I think his body control around the rim, his ability to hunt for contact now and what and play through contact more importantly. Mm-hmm have really evolved this season. I think that the rule changes really took him by surprise to start the year. One thing I will say is, though, be prepared. If this, if Tatum's numbers all of a sudden start to trend downwards now that Jalen's back, be prepared for that. Like, it's, it's literally, you're not getting away from it. If Tatum has a few bad games once Brown's back, the you need to trade Brown or Tatum, they can't play mm-hmm. together. That narrative is going to come back with a real vengeance. And yeah. um, I think... Like, I've never been one to call for trades. I think that looking at trades to fix a team is kind of, I've always looked a little, not lazy, but along the lines of laziness, right? Like, oh, well, anyone can pull a trade. You know, we're all armchair GMs. I've never really been, but I genuinely believe that this team needs some form of trade. And that's very, (laughs) if you listen to me on podcasts through like the entire time I've been doing them, I very rarely call for a trade. I'll do mock trades and stuff because they're fun. But I'll very rarely be the guy to be like, yeah, there needs to be a trade. Mm-hmm. I don't think it needs to be Jalen. But you're going to hear a lot of people calling for that if Tatum's numbers start to go downwards. Definitely. And um, it, do we do we want to very quickly talk about the the report that Ben Simmons they're they're listening to more Ben Simmons trades? Yeah, I mean, they, but they want a top twenty five guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just don't think. Look, I genuinely, I'm one of the very few people that think Ben Simmons and Jason Tatum together will be a problem for the next five to ten years. I genuinely think that. I think the defense that Ben Simmons brings different because you know, just Ben Simmons pick and roll with a like a pick and roll and then dribble dribble drive dish to Tatum is just the stuff that dreams are made of. It's like real basketball heaven. But can I can I pitch you a trade? Yeah, yeah. I want to finish your finish your butt statement. But if it comes at the expense of Jalen Brown, I'm not sure I'm in on that. That was okay. actually how I was into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this would have to be done in January. All right. Because um, Marcus Smart and Josh Richardson and Robert Williams all can't be traded until January. I think even late January. So this is a three-team deal. Um, it's with the Spurs, Sixers, and Celtics. In this scenario, the San Antonio Spurs get Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Josh Richardson, Matisse Thybul, maybe a pick. Uh, the Sixers get DeJounte Murray, Doug McDermott, and three Celtics unprotected picks. The Celtics end up with Ben Simmons and Bryn Forbes. Initial thoughts. I love it. Philadelphia hate it. You think so? Yeah, because they, they as much because DeJounte Murray gives mm-hmm. you a lot of the same problems that Ben Simmons does. Defense and can't doesn't have an outside shot. It's very much a, a like a DeJounte Murray. Not scared to shoot, but not very capable when doing so. Very good in the mid-range. But um, I think that DeJounte Murray is a hybrid of Marcus Smart and Ben Simmons, right? I think he's kind of like the two. And I think that um, it's just that they want to move away from that driving dish type of guard because of the way it clogs the paint for Embiid. So I do, but me personally, like from a Celtic standpoint, that's perfect. From a San Antonio standpoint, that's probably great. From a, a Sixers standpoint, that DeJounte Murray would be where it fell over. Now, maybe if they wanted Calden Johnson, maybe you could do something there. Mm-hmm. But then well, who are they going to have as a guard? So 
that would yeah. be my initial opinion. Okay. But I think it's a really good trade. Yeah, I, I think the you know that's the type of deal that is going to get Ben Simmons to another team, right? It's going to be a three-team deal. Um, Celtics just wouldn't be able to trade Marcus Smart and Robert Williams for Ben Simmons and call it a day, right? They don't need Robert Williams. They don't necessarily want Marcus Smart. As you said, Marcus Smart is kind of that hybrid. You know, Murray and Smart kind of live in that same, in that same universe. Um, but I, I think Murray... I'm higher on Murray than I think a lot of people are. Maybe it's just because he kills the Celtics, but I love what he what he brings, man. I think he's one of the best defenders on the ball in the league. And then I think if you put him at the point of attack um, on on defense, and then with his ability to get to the mid range and knock down shots, I I just think he's kind of got this like untapped potential. And if you move him out of San Antonio. I think you're going to see him flourish. I think he's already having one of his better years right now. Yeah, you know, he's, he's two years off that ACL injury right now. So I, I think he's a guy that I wouldn't even mind him on the Celtics. If we made a deal for DeJounte Murray, I'd be, DeJounte happy Murray. Too. I'd be very happy. Uh, Here's yeah, one for I, you. Go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, I was going to say, I, 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 I'm a person that thinks Ben Simmons would actually be one of the more perfect fits around Jalen Jason. Me, I completely agree. Uh, so this isn't like a much trade, but I wouldn't be shocked if the 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 Brooklyn Nets got involved as a third team in a way to move off from Kyrie Irving and bring back mm. some valuable role players, right? So if you could get Kyrie Irving going to Philly, um, Ben Simmons going to Boston, and then like a Marcus Smart, and then you know a Josh Richardson or a Dennis Schroeder or something of that nature going towards Brooklyn. That could work for everybody because Brooklyn are proving that they don't need Kyrie right now. So some valuable mm-hmm. role pieces could be what they needed. Philadelphia get a star, and I don't think the the COVID laws are the same in Philly. So he could actually, yeah. so he could play. You know what I mean? Kyrie would be playing, and Boston mm-hmm. get Simmons like that sort of deal. I think that Brooklyn like would be very involved. The money won't work. You'd have to get super creative with how you'd make the money work for Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and who goes out where, but it's possible. And I think that Brooklyn will be, because from all the reports I've read, Brooklyn don't want Simmons, but they're very um, receptive. Uh, um, Zach Lowe was talking about it on his podcast on Friday. They're very receptive to discussions around Kyrie. Well, if you don't want Simmons, you can still send Kyrie to Brooklyn, you, Bro- sorry, to Philly. Mm-hmm. Philly get a top 25 guy. Philly move off from Ben Simmons and redirect him to the third team, and it works for everybody. So I've got I a like feeling that a lot. I've got a feeling that'll be um, Brooklyn's name will be in Philadelphia's mouth until this Ben Simmons situation is resolved. I think that's a great idea, man. That's why that's why you are Adam Taylor NBA. I'm just Mini Minnow. <laughs> You're Greg Manakis, my homeboy. That's who you are. Um, you're killing it too, dude, man. Don't say yourself short, by the way. Um, <laughs> I would look ahead to the week, but honestly, I'm not very confident. I don't think they're going to do too great against Milwaukee. I'm not holding my breath against Golden State. I think the yeah. next winnable game is against New York, and we'll be recording oh just before that game. So the, the best thing I can say about the upcoming week is there's a nice little break between games. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so so going off of what I said on Thursday, there's always more basketball. It's here. It's like there's a nice long break in between Monday yeah. and Friday. Yeah, and I think that's going to be... The, uh, the best part of it for me is the fact that we've got a few days to really reassess this roster. Like what I like to do on these breaks is I'll go back, watch a f- I'll handpick a couple of games, some bad, some good, and try and look at the juxtaposition between the good and the bad, just to kind of mm-hmm. drill home my personal takes and try and evolve them. 
Um, so that's yeah. what I'm going to spend this week doing mainly. Cool. Uh, let me know when you're going to do that, man. If I have any time, I'd love to rewatch a game with you if we can figure it out. I know we're on very different schedules. Yeah, you might you be asleep, but I could definitely... Uh, <laughs> I- yeah, and I'm going to be going on to um, Christmas break here soon, so I might be able to uh, link up with you a little bit more. My girlfriend and I are actually going to be doing Christmases separate. Her family celebrates Christmas after Christmas in North Carolina, so we're doing our Christmas on December 23rd. Um, she and I, and then I'm going back to Boston. So I, from December 24th until New Year's Eve, um, I will be, you know, living that solo dolo life. My girlfriend's going to be with her family. I'll be with mine. And uh, maybe you and I can link up and watch a game together or something. That'd be cool. Yeah, man, I'm down. I'm down. We can stream it as well. So other people can get involved. Anybody listening. Um, I think that's it. Unless you've got anything you want to say about these upcoming games. Uh no I I I'm excited to see JB back. I think what I expect to happen is JB will play tomorrow against the Bucks and then he's not I don't think they're going to play him against the Warriors. I think they're going to sit him until the next game. Kind of give him an extra day and then he'll yeah. have 4 days off until that next game. I mean I just hope he, yeah. I mean either way the Warriors are the Warriors, dude. And the worst thing is that everyone's got it circled as the game where Steph breaks the three-point record. Hopefully he does it before that. I mean, if he does it in the Celtics win, cool. If he does it in the Celtics lose, and then the Celtics have lost, like, what's that? One, two, three, five games on the bounce, then I'm going to be a little bit frustrated. Same, same. I'm going to be a little bit frustrated. Right, everybody, if you've made it through, then you, you're you a trooper because uh, you're probably not feeling as great about your Monday morning as what you were when you turned this episode on. Just to let you know, the holidays are right around the corner, which means that you're most likely going to be getting some outrageously awesome gifts that will cheer you up. And if you don't, then you'll have the gift of the Celtics blog podcast and that will make you happy. We're not releasing on Christmas Day. Don't get too excited. <laughs> As usual, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave that five-star written review. Got If you're listening on an Apple device, there's five stars. You press them, they turn gold. I smile, Greg smiles, Will smiles when he's with us. Scroll down, write something real nice. If you don't have an Apple device, then my boy Greg is about to tell you what you need to do. Well, you could tell your modern dog, Boston Walker, um, about this pod. Um, you could tell your neighbor, your friendly neighborhood realtor. Uh, you could tell your Uber Eats driver. You could tell your barber. Anybody in, in your life that you think is going to enjoy listening to two guys talk about a team that's not very good, um, just tell them. Just tell them, hey, it's fun hanging out with Greg, Adam, and Will, and uh, you'll have a good time listening to them. Everybody, you'll catch me and Will. Yeah, it'll be me and Will on Wednesday, so everybody have a great start to the week. We'll have a game to talk about after that. And we'll be in the midst of a little bit of a break. Stay safe. Enjoy your Monday. And, uh, you know, don't be too sad. Peace. Peace, everybody. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.